You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. chapter one for you guys. Let's take a listen here. Okay, chapter one, the NIV, Daniel's training in Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, (laughs) handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name of Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To this four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Caleb. God, I just thank you for Caleb, and thank you for the word that you've given him, and I just pray that it would be planted into our hearts and that we would receive the revelation that you want us to this morning. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Becky. Just give me a second here to set up. So there's a lot there. A lot of scripture. Uh, Honestly, if we had the time, we would have read the whole book of Daniel this morning. Uh, but, uh, But refrained from that plan. And want to just share with you guys how God's been speaking to me. I was reading um, almost two weeks ago from this chapter, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks how God was speaking to me through it. And I wanted to be able to share that with you guys this morning. But before we reference back to it, I just want to ask you guys, have you ever been in a time in life where, um, you know, pressure that you find yourself in causes you to discover things about yourself? Yes. (laughs) Michael's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, You know, sometimes we describe it as like fight or flight, right? And and that thing rises up in you where you're going to fight, or or you just want to run away and go retreat and disengage. Um, One of the things that also happens in the presence of pressure is what's inside of us 
already gets revealed. You maybe heard this before. I remember hearing a preacher say this years ago. You know, you squeeze a lemon, you're supposed to get lemon juice, lemonade. You squeeze a Christian, you're supposed to get Christ. And, uh, and, and sometimes what we discover when we're in a place of pressure is we discover what it is that's inside of us, right? Like you hear these stories of a really intense uh, need causing something. I don't know if you ever heard these stories of like lifting a car, right, to help someone get free. Like didn't know that they could do that. Or other times maybe I feel just like a little bit of pressure from my wife and I, you know, like the beast comes out. The, uh, but, but the main idea that I want to talk about today is that what comes out of us is usually a result of what we've been feeding on. Jesus warned his disciples in Mark 8, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, and what he was getting at, I don't, I'm not going to go into this scripture deeply today, but I believe what Jesus was getting at is that there is a spirit, this religious spirit that takes the traditions of men and makes them into the law of God. Jesus was talking about that in the chapter just before. And there's also this political spirit that can get into us, and it, and it infects us. That's what yeast does, right? Yeast leavens a lump of dough. It affects the whole lump of dough. And Jesus says to his disciples, beware of that leaven. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like in this season of pressure that we have been living in and experiencing... We see different things coming out. We see social, uh, you know, impact of it. To vaccinate or not vaccinate. To submit to authority or resist and all these things. And I don't want to get into unpacking all of that. You can go read plenty of it online if you want. But I do want to say that there is this pressure that we've lived in and we're seeing the impact of it in our society. And some of the fruit that I feel like I've seen, you can let me know if you would agree that you can relate to seeing this, is we've seen a lot of fear. We've seen a lot of outbursts of anger. We see a lot of slander. We see a lot of bitterness and offense. We see a lot of division. We see this maybe subtle or not so subtle sense of superiority and pride based on what we believe about the current situation. I see a lot of lack of honor. Would you agree? And I want to I issue a warning that you may not be hearing on the news. Yes, COVID-19 can kill you. Or it can just make you slightly ill. Yes, a vaccine is protecting some bodies and maybe having adverse effects on others. But the kind of sin that was just listed, it won't just damage your body. It will infect and destroy your soul. You know, we've got, we've got all sorts of thoughts out there about COVID, about vaccines, about all this stuff. And I get tired of talking about it, to be totally honest. But we have to because it's in our face and it's constantly bombarding. And they will affect the body. But more importantly, these things I listed will destroy your soul. And when that stuff is infecting you, that bitterness, that offense, the slander, the gossip, the whatever else is going on, it doesn't just affect you. You become a carrier of that sin virus, and it spreads throughout society. And the sad state of affairs is when it starts to infect and creep into the church. 
Because our ability to be an agent of change and transformation to the world around us is deeply affected by this infection. And I would propose to you that this virus spreading is less like COVID-19. Bear with me here, more like a zombie apocalypse. I'm very curious about this question. Show of hands, how many people in this church have seen World War Z? Man, less than half, you guys. Okay, I'm not going to recommend it. It's pretty scary. It's a, it's a pretty scary movie. I'm a big fan, i got to be honest. And, uh, and I, it was just hitting me, seriously, as I was thinking about this message this morning. You see, the reason I compare it more to a zombie apocalypse than COVID-19 is because what happens is these people get infected with the virus, right? And then they're droning around. You know, once everybody around them is infected, they're droning around. And all it takes is the sound of something different than themselves. And they come running to devour to infect. Believe what I believe. No, you believe what I believe. And, and, we, and we devour each other. I was tempted to play a scene from the movie this morning. You know, the family, and they're going through the stairwell, and there's the eerie music, and they're trying so hard to be quiet so that they don't hear them. And I was like, that's just how it feels in society right now. Don't say your opinion. Somebody might come. You know, it's just like, it's scary living in 2021. But no fear. We're talking about not, not being overcome by fear. <laughs> May we not be carriers of that virus. It's sad when we see this playing out anywhere, but especially sad when it's in the church. Because we're called to stand in this world as a people of a different spirit. That's why we read from Daniel this morning. And I, I wish we could read the whole book. I've been meditating in it lately. I would recommend to you that you meditate in it, and we are going to leave zombie movies behind and move into the scriptures <laughs> to see how God might speak to us today. But I want you to understand some things that we see, even just, you know, some of it in this chapter that Becky read to us, some of it in the rest of the book that I'm just going to reference, and I'll do my best for anyone who's maybe not familiar with the whole story to, to reference it well. But at the very beginning, you see in this scripture that Becky read that they recognized that they were delivered into Babylon by God. It says God delivered them into Babylon. It wasn't something happening by some other force God sovereignly ordained their deliverance into captivity, into exile, into Babylon. And it's speculated that Daniel and his friends were likely around 15 or 16 years old when they were brought in. And it says, right, they were trained in the ways of Babylon. They learned the culture. They learned the literature. They learned the language. They even changed their names. They sought to change their identity. And yet they lived in that system, serving their captors. You think that was a popular job? You know, a certain leader in our country gets a lot of bad press. And I imagine if one of us was his right-hand man, some people in the church would have some thoughts and opinions about that. Take it another step further. This wasn't just a guy who was voted in that some people didn't like. This was a king of a nation that took them captive. Daniel and the boys were his servants. And they served him faithfully. But they served with a distinctly different spirit. It says that when they went and stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, right, we read it, Becky read it to us, that he questioned them and he talked to them and he found them to be ten times more wise, just superior altogether to all the other servants. And what I would 
um, suggest to you is that they went about in this time period, which I will note to you, it says that he was there until the time of King Cyrus. Well, if you do the math, it's about 67 years, the narrative of the book of Daniel. So he served these kings, not just one, four kings, 67 years. And there's only two stories of defiance. And Daniel's only in one of them. And there's one story that we read of a requested alternative diet. Just let that sink in. So the, the, the between the lines story that you can see is it's very likely in 67 years, for the majority of the time, they did the king's bidding. Do you think they agreed with it all the time? Do you think they agreed with everything he wanted done? I don't think so. They did defy. Don't get me wrong. But the defiance was always related to when it violated the law of their God, and that was it. Because they recognized, you can see it throughout the book, they recognized the rulership of the king to be ordained of God. And they walked in a holiness. They were very different. Holiness, talk, holiness, the word is about being set apart, being different. But the difference that they displayed was in diligence, integrity, wisdom, honor, this humble service. It's amazing to me that they didn't run from the system or go hide in a cave somewhere. They were actually in the system serving with a different spirit. Like even in their defiance, and when they pushed back, it's amazing the level of honor and tone how they spoke. You know, from the lion's den in chapter 6, the first thing Daniel says in response to the king, when he says, how you doing? May the, li- may the king live forever, before he even answers the question. Remember, that's from the lion's den. May the king live forever. They called him majesty and all this sorts of stuff. And I want you to realize the Babylonian culture was brutal. You can read about it yourself. I won't go into details, but I guarantee you, um, if we get into the details, it might be a little more graphic and scary than my World War Z illustration. If you know anything about this, there was uh, in the 19th century, they uncovered tablets that were from the, the Babylonian creation legend, myth. And the Babylonian creation story is one of violence. It's one of total uh, feuding between this dysfunctional family. You know, in Genesis, we have a good God, a good loving God creates a good earth. The foundation for creation and the understanding of the world in Babylon was that this one God was in a war with another, killed her, cut her in two, and made the heavens and the earth with her filleted body. So violence and power was believed to be at the very core of importance in human existence. And you can imagine the outworkings of that in a society. And so in 600 B.C., roughly, Babylon, it was a great context for God's superior ways and wisdom to be on display. And I would suggest to you that the day and age in which we live today, may be hostile as it may seem, is a great opportunity for God's ways and wisdom to be put on display through his people. I, I toyed with the idea of calling my message today the gift of hostility. Because in the presence of hostility, there is a great opportunity for God's kingdom to shine. I mean, that is the very message of the cross itself. And we'll talk about that in a bit.
But you know, when they display diamonds, what do they put them out on? A black cloth. And what I want to do today is I want to highlight the contrasts. Contrasting ways and approaches and ways of life. Being of this different spirit. But first, I want to ask you, how did Daniel and his friends live in such a toxic system and not be infected by it? How were they in the system but not of the system? What was the source of the different spirit that they walked in and exuded? I would say to you, I find it really interesting that the writer of Daniel puts at the front end of the book a story where they resolved to not eat what was offered to them. I suggest to you that your spiritual and intellectual diet will determine the spirit that you walk in, that you exude from your life. And before you make this about should or shouldn't get vaccinated, I would suggest to you that behind this resolve to not eat the food was the fear of the Lord was this understanding of the scriptures. Daniel and his friends were saturated in the scriptures most likely. And they knew that God called his people to eat a particular way and less concerned about their physical appearance or whatever it might be. It was out of honor to God. It was about obeying what God had spoken and what God had said. They were people of the scriptures. Remember, Jesus warns his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And what do his disciples say in response? If you remember the story, they're like, he must be talking about this because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus is like, you guys still don't get it. And what I would say to you is the spirit of the age offers us a specific diet. And the spirit of God offers us an alternative, superior diet. And what comes out of you is a good idea, good, good indicator, I should say, of what you've been feeding on. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Go read it. And ask yourself, as you, as you see what's coming out of your life, does it line up with this or that? Is it outbursts of anger, dissension, factions? Or is it love and joy and peace and so on? And as Daniel and his friends ate accordingly, they had a different spirit. They appeared before the king healthier and wiser than the rest. So if today you start to realize maybe there's some bad fruit coming out of your life, don't worry. When you go to the doctor and you find out maybe you're sick from what it is you've been eating, it's not too late to change. You could change your diet. You can start feeding on something else. And so when, when God starts to highlight in your heart and in your life some fruit that's not looking much like him, he doesn't show you that just so that you can grovel and feel horrible about yourself. He says, come here. I've got better food for you. Food maybe you knew not of. So here are the contrasts I want us to look at. Less protest, more prayer. Less slander, more service. Less fear of man or of bodily harm, more fear of God. Less madness, more mercy. You can maybe list off more, but you know I like alliteration. And <laughs> Thank you, Christine. 
Less protest. More prayer. Anybody tired of protest? I'm exhausted by it. Can you picture Jesus shouting and screaming outside of the hospital? I can't. You know, Daniel, and, and, and guys, don't like hear me, okay? I know there's crazy stuff going on. I don't want to minimize the reality of what people are walking through and going through. Hard times. Pressure's real. Questions are real. Concerns are real. But when, for instance, let's look at the story of Daniel. When 70 years of exile was over, okay, this is in the story, not in the part we read. But when the 70 years of exile for the people of God was over in Babylon, when it reached its end, Daniel didn't get up and write a letter to the king He prayed. He began to pray. I believe Daniel recognized that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. The whole first six chapters of Daniel is about the events that went on between Daniel and the kings over those 67 years, roughly. The second half of Daniel, the last six chapters, is all visions of powers and principalities that are behind the things happening in the rise and fall of kingdoms. There's this recognition that God gave Daniel that what you see happening before you in governing authorities and the kingdoms of this earth is the outworkings of a spiritual reality that is behind it. And there is a spiritual reality in the heavenly places that is far above every power and principality that is named in heaven and on earth. His name's Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Our battle that we are in today is not against people, it's against demonic forces, powers, and principalities. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the scriptures. So feed on this truth. You're seated with Christ, who is far above every power and principality in heaven and on earth. And our sovereign God reigns over all the happenings on the planet. The outcome of the election tomorrow He rules over it. Less slander. More service. Can you see one time in the book of Daniel them slander the king? He humbly serves Multiple kings with loyalty, with honor, with faithfulness, with diligence, with integrity. Like near the end of the narrative part in chapter 6, Daniel's about to be promoted to being the, the top guy over all of the officials. Because they couldn't find in him any negligence or corruption is what it says. So it wasn't just integrity, he was actually good at his job. He didn't miss anything. And I guarantee you the reason they wanted him thrown in the lion's den is because they knew they wouldn't line their pockets so easily with Daniel in charge. I guarantee you there was a lot of corruption. You know, he regular, regularly says, Your Majesty, Your Majesty. We already said it. May the king live forever is what he says from the lion's den. And I would just say to you, remember that we are called not to slander, not to gossip, not to corrupt speech. We're called to love and honor 
and grace-imparting speech. We're called to serve. The king of the universe displayed himself on the earth as a servant. Who gave up his, his, his divine nature in a way and lived as a man on the earth. Who gave his life not to be served, but to serve. Less fear of man or bodily harm, more fear of God. And I would propose to you, suggest to you, that Daniel and his friends' courage and their confidence and their calmness of spirit was rooted in the fear of the Lord. They had a high reverence for the God of the universe that was higher than their reverence for any man, any decree, any regulation. They bowed to the Lord and the Lord alone. And it got them thrown in a fiery furnace and a lion's den. But these visions that you read of Daniel having, they show his recognition that kingdoms rise and fall when God says so. The kings come into power and go out of power when God says so. And I live my life according to God's word. We're going to talk about that next week. And it's power to, to bring unity. But I'll just allude to that in Daniel 6 when they're trying to trap Daniel and find a way to have this guy not be an authority over them. This is all the other officials. They say, we can't find any grounds for charges against this guy unless it has to do with the law of his God. I'd say to you, I realize we're in a time where there's a lot of gray area where there's some things that I would say are left to conscience. And the scriptures give us room for that. Where we respect one another's conscience in areas that seem unclear. But I would encourage you to really be a person of the word. I'm so glad biblical meditation class group, not class group, is, is, is firing up. I would encourage you to, to be a person of the scriptures. It is a sad state of affairs when uh, stats I've heard are that 80% of people in the Western church who name the name Christ haven't read the entire Bible. If you're in that group, this isn't a shame statement. It's an invitation to, to, to feed on the word. Be filled with it. Be strengthened by it. You know, this whole idea of, of having this fear of the Lord comes from a vision of who he is and what he's like. And it makes me think about Jesus. This is John 19, and when Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate threatens him, don't you know? I have the power to kill you or let you go. What does Jesus say in response to him? You would have no power unless it was given to you from above. Jesus understood the way things work here on earth. And I just want to tell you, feed on this. Remember that the God who is seated far above Every power and principality will not be stopped. His purposes will prevail from generation to generation. We get so caught up in our moment, we lose sight that there's a God who has been working throughout human history and isn't planning on stopping anytime soon. And it's him we look to, it's him we serve. This doesn't just apply to your relationship to governing authorities. This applies to our relationship to one another. 
And people are shouting at you, you need to read this article. No, read this article. No, you know, it's like, hey, I don't have to feel that pressure. I don't have to come to that fear of, well, maybe we disagree. We don't see things right. I don't have to live under that thing where I can't actually share what I believe to be true. But I would encourage you, let what you're willing to fight for be from the scriptures. Not this article or that article or this scientific data or that scientific data. Let's work hard to hold to the scriptures. I said, less madness, more mercy. You know, the beginning of Daniel, this is Daniel 4. And, and the king's had this dream, and he wants it interpreted. And, and this dream, the interpretation of it, is a message of judgment to King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a message to him that judgment is coming upon you for your pride, for your wickedness, etc. And when Daniel goes to tell him the interpretation of the dream, first thing he says is, where is it? If only the interpretation of this dream applied to your enemies. He doesn't walk in and be like, oh, wait, do you see what's coming, king? God's got your number. You're going down, you know? Like, there's none of this arrogance coming in. There's none of this anger. There's a heart of mercy. Only this dream applied to your enemies. But here it is. And I was just thinking on this this week, and I was reminded of a story of someone maybe you've heard of before, Elizabeth Elliot. Anybody ever heard of Elizabeth Elliot? For those of you who have not heard, not known, Elizabeth Elliot was married to a missionary. They were missionaries together in Ecuador in the 1950s. And in 1956, her husband, Jim Elliott, and four friends, the names of who I can't remember them all, went to make contact with a tribe that was pretty untouched by the rest of the world. Pretty to themselves, had their own culture, their own way of life, hadn't heard of Jesus, and they felt called to go share Jesus with these people. And the story goes that in 1956, they made contact with this tribe, and they were speared to death. They were killed. And word came back to the families. And Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Elliot had just had a baby, one year old, when this happened. And over the next two years, some women had left that village of that tribe and ended up making contact with the mission's base where Elizabeth Elliot lived with her child. She stayed in Ecuador. They learned a few words, a bit of the language, and she couldn't shake the sense of calling from Jesus to go to this tribe that had murdered her husband to share the gospel with them. She went with her three-year-old daughter. People told her she was crazy. People told her she shouldn't do this. But she couldn't shake the sense of call from Jesus to go bring the best news that the world's ever known to this village that had been responsible for the death of her husband and her child's father. And I'd encourage you, you can go and read her writings. She, she lived among this village for seven years. They ended up planning a church. People came to Christ. The connection was made of who she was and the relationship to this man who had been killed. And, and she was able to share Jesus. People ended up receiving Jesus. They planted a church in this village. And she went on to be an author, and she wrote many great things. You can read her writings, and it's full of great quotes. But I want to share one with you. She says this, of one thing I'm sure, God's story never ends in ashes. She walked with this, this conviction about who God is and how he rules and how he reigns and how that affects her relationship to the world around her. 
And, and more than Daniel, more than Elizabeth Elliot, I think of Jesus. In the moment of utter hostility against him, when he's being murdered on the cross, he prays a prayer that's radical. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe it's a sign. Phone's ringing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's praying for those murdering him. And I really do believe that the guys there, they really didn't know what they were doing. They probably didn't even have anything out against Jesus so much. They're just soldiers following orders. Not even aware that they were puppets, if you will, to powers and principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness, infected like a, like a zombie. <laughs> I tell you, I could give you so much from this movie. <laughs> But we're to be a people marked by mercy. The most beautiful display of God's glory, I believe, in human history was that moment on the cross. When the king of the universe said, my life for yours. And the king of the universe prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we know how it goes. He raises from the dead. Death cannot hold them, but the path into that hope and into that victory was through this, this expression of mercy. And so that would be my plea to you today, my invitation to you today. Because I'll say it again, when we let the spirit of the age be our diet. And when we let what the spirit of the age has for us infect the church, we are rendered ineffective in our mission to the world. So repent. Repentance isn't just something that we Muster up in ourselves. Okay, good sermon, Caleb. Got it. Got my notes, and now I'll go. I'll go do it. You know. You need a revelation of who Jesus is. You need a revelation of His nature and His heart and His character displayed through His life and His death and His resurrection. When we use the word repentance, it's about a turning away from and unto, right? If my people were called by my name, will humble themselves, repent from their sins, turn to me and pray, I'll hear their land. I would say to you that that repentance and that turning to the Lord and praying, they're one and the same. We, we don't just get repentance in our own effort. It comes from seeing him. It comes from seeing him in his ways and that they're better. And that's why I would call you to be a people of the scriptures, to be immersed in the word, to be a people of prayer. If you will welcome consistent prayer and consistent immersion in the word into your life, I guarantee you, you will have the nutrients you need for the times of pressure when they come. And if you find yourself, and the doctor, you know, like I said, is giving you a bad diagnosis, and you're finding some stuff in your life, it's not too late. It's not too late to switch up your diet. Come to Jesus. Come to the scriptures. Bring your cares before him in prayer. Don't let it just float around up here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close, and we're going to read a psalm. The psalm we're going to read, Psalm 33. 
And I would suggest to you that there's a good chance that Daniel and the boys had read, prayed, or sang this psalm before. And I want to invite us to actually read it together. Is it up on the screen? Psalm 33? And I'm going to welcome you to stand. We stand for the national anthem. I think we can stand for the scriptures. So you're free to just listen to it if you want to, but I'd welcome you to read it aloud with us, and I'd welcome you to read from the screen so that we're reading the same version. I tell you what, just in case my NIV in front of me is a different edition than the one on the screen, I'll read from the screen with you guys. Here we go. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Jesus! All right. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. Pause. Can we just read that part again, Elijah? One more. Back. Here we go again. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. My dad's got something, and then we're going to let you go. All right? There, hang with us. Just the scriptural story to illustrate what Caleb is talking about. We can find it in 2 Kings 6, 8 to 23, where the king of Aram, he's at war against Israel, and every time he has a plan, the Lord reveals it to Elisha, who tells the king of Israel, this is what the king of Aram has planned to do. And what the king of Aram, he finds out that Elisha is getting the inside track from God. I care very little about what the enemy is doing or the conspiracy of man. The question we have to be asking ourselves is what is God saying and what is God doing? So in the midst of all the noise, I'm always looking for the voices that are saying, but this is what God is saying. This is what God is doing. In the midst of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, 
the political ideology, the political spirit, the religious ideology, the religious spirit, getting us divided and taking camps and sides. We are to be the kingdom of heaven leaven in what we're speaking to those that are around us. We are the ones that, like Elisha, when his servant sees the army of Aram surrounding him, he's afraid, and he moves into self-preservation mode. Where do I run? Where do I hide? And that is not a kingdom orientation for the sons of the king. We're fighting from a place of victory, not towards it, from a victory that's already been achieved. But what Elisha does is he prays, Lord, open his eyes. Elisha wasn't afraid at all. I don't even know if Elisha saw the angels of heaven. But he had a conscious awareness of who his God was. He had an awareness of the promises the angels surround me and protect me. But he prayed that his servant's eyes would be open and his servant's eyes were opened. When they were, he also prayed that the enemy's eyes be blinded. And he led them to Samaria before the king of Israel. And the king of Israel says, shall I kill them? And, the Lord said, and then Elisha says, Lord, open the army of Aram's eyes. And they realized they were captured now by Israel. But then when the king said, shall we kill them? Elisha said, no, give them a feast. And presented a feast to them of showing them the mercy of God. And it was an incredible opportunity for that demonstration. But I want to say what your role is in the midst of when you're hearing the fear of what the conspiracies are. When you're hearing the schemes of the enemy, your role is to say, but this is who God is. This is what God is doing. And you're to speak in such a way that you're bringing hope to the people around you. That you're subduing their fears by bringing the peace and the presence of God because he's sovereign and he is good. And I want to give you a prophetic commission that your role is to bring that hope and that peace because of bringing God's perspective of saying, but... This is who our God is. He's sovereign and he is good. He has already won the victory. No plan or purpose of his can be thwarted. Everything he has planned and purpose will prevail. And you're bringing that hope. You're bringing even that joy of a victory that's already been won into a situation. So, Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and Lord, in the midst of what looks like hopelessness for many or fear that moves people into self-preservation, that we would speak in such a way that, Lord, your kingdom of leaven would begin to become the food that we would feast upon and that we would be leaven in the world around us, that we'd bring your kingdom, which is righteousness, joy, and peace into every single situation in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.